How many of you guys in here have ever uh, rode out a storm? You decided you didn't go nowhere, you was going to just stay. So, okay, okay. Let me do this first of all. How many of you, and I always like to do this, how many of you are here in Living Word Church for the first time? Please stand to your feet. You are here at Living Word Church for the very first time. Amen, amen, amen. Uh, we met this brother. He's, from, he's a Bostonian, and now he's a Louisianian. Amen. He works for the Courier. So we met him today. And, man, we just want to tell you here at Living Word Church, we want to love you so many ways that you're going to love one of them and want to come back again. You know, we just are down-home, friendly people that love God and love his people. So thank you for gracing the house of God for being here. Amen. And we always want to welcome all of our visitors. And then we want to welcome every last one of you who've been coming every single Wednesday. You are just as important to us as well because the bottom line is, you know, it takes people to make that thing go. It really does. And thank you for your faithfulness and everything that you're doing. We ask you that you continue praying for Pastor Renee. He's in Texas. Pastor Ben is over at the lighthouse. He's uh, taking care of the youth over there. And so, you know, I got drafted. You know, we got drafted tonight. So let's just jump in the word. In 1992, my wife and I, my family, decided that we were going to escape Hurricane Andrew. Andrew. And so we decided to go to Baton Rouge. Well, if you know anything about the storm, that wasn't a good decision. We thought we were just going to go inland, and boy, it was going to be good. So we got to Nadine's aunt house, and we, boy, they had a lot. I had no idea it was going to have a whole, that many people in that house. And as the night progressed, and it got darker and darker, little did we know that Andrew came straight up through Baton Rouge. And I had never sat through a storm like that before. And you can and it wasn't a big house, but that thing, that house was shaking. The, 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 the shutters was pounding. And, man, I, and I looked outside the window, and it was dark. And you can just see the top of the trees. And I looked at my van, and that van was just, like, going from side to side. And all night you can just hear the, the, the howling of the winds. And we just like, Lord, keep us going. It don't look like we're going to make it. And just, it just looked bad. It just looked dark. And then when the breaking of day came, and the day gave way to the way to the night. When the sun rose, it revealed something that the night had kept from us. The day breaking revealed that it really wasn't as bad as it sounded. And see, for the the Thessalonians, the, the Thessalonians, they had heard of the day of the Lord approaching, and it looked really, really bad. And Paul was encouraging them, guys, I know it looks bad, but the breaking of day is going to reveal some things to you that the night hid from you. So tonight, what we want to look at, we want to take a look at how Paul encouraged these people to stand firm. And tonight, the theme we're going to look at, 2 Thessalonians, we're going to look at verse 13 through 17, and then we're going to go into chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. And the focus tonight in those passive scripture is, is concentrating on a God-centered or a gospel-centered people. Gospel-centered people. If we're going to survive what we're seeing today, we've got, we're going to survive because not because of just who we are. We're going to survive based on what we know. Because sometimes life will show us something different than what we, what we know. It will show us something totally different, but we have to allow our faith to remain in what we know. 
Let's look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 through 17. We're going to read it. It says, as for us, we can't help but thank God for you, dear brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord. We're always thankful that God chose you to be among the first to experience salvation, a salvation that comes through the Spirit who makes you holy and through your belief in the truth. He called you to salvation when we told you the good news. Now you can share in the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ with all these things in mind. Dear brothers and sisters, stand firm and keep a strong grip. Somebody say keep a strong grip. Keep a strong grip on the teachings we passed on to you both in person, word of mouth, and by letter. Now now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace give us eternal comfort and a wonderful hope. Verse 17, comfort you and strengthen you in every good work and every good thing you do and say. Let's look in uh, chapter 3. Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we ask you to pray for us. Pray that the Lord's message will spread rapidly and be honored wherever we go. Just as when it came to you, pray too that we will rescue, we be rescued from the wicked and evil people. For not everyone is a believer. (laughs) What a revelation. (laughs) Not everyone is a believer. Wow. Verse 3, but the Lord is faithful. Somebody say faithful. He will strengthen you and guard you from the evil one. And we are confident in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we commanded you. May the Lord lead your heart into a full understanding, an expression of the love of God and the patient endurance that comes from Christ. Man, that's a loaded shotgun. But we're going to hit the enemy with a double barrel tonight. On our way from Florida, um, I'm sorry, from Texas, um, two weeks ago, we went on the mission to, um, to help with disaster relief. And we took a bunch of the young people with us. Uh, we wanted them to see firsthand um, what disaster relief looked like and be able to minister to I was blown away because I saw uh, six, 14, 13, and 12-year-old boys leap from our van, run up to the driveway, ask these people, can we help you? And there were several times when the lady of the home became so overwhelmed, they began to cry. And I watched these 12, 13, and 14-year-old junior high boys gather around these people and begin to declare peace and hope for these families. You talk about amazing One lady was so overwhelmed by the boys praying for her. She kissed all of them. She hugged them. They was leaving. She ran behind them, kissed them, and hugged them again. They was getting the van. She grabbed them and kissed them again. I'm like, lady, we got to go. She was just overwhelmed because she had never seen young people that committed to prayer. And it was an amazing thing to watch. And after seeing all of that stuff piled up in front of people's houses, we began to drive back Sunday afternoon, and the Lord began to speak to my heart. And this is exactly what he said. He said, in his word, we are pilgrims passing through this land. And he said, the problem 
that my people are having is they're, they're becoming attached to the things of this world and the things of this world is stealing their peace and their joy. And I'm listening to the Holy Spirit. He said, too many of my people is becoming emotionally attached to things in this life and is robbing them of their peace and their joy. And then he began to show me a vision of every house we passed and how all this stuff was piled up in front of their homes. And I'm looking at this. I said, man, if there was no mold, we can have a killer garage sale. Amazing. And what, what, what he spoke to me was like, this was stuff that people actually believed they could never part with. And in one moment in their lives, time created a circumstance that they had no choice but to let it go. If it wasn't for the flood, it would be difficult to convince them that they, would, they could let go of the stuff that they saw sitting on the corner. But time and an event reveal something that nothing you try to hold on to in this life is eternal. As the children of Israel left Egypt and wandered in the desert, they lived in tents. But the interesting part about their tents is that the tents were held up by stakes in the ground. I don't ever remember reading one time the children of Israel building a solid concrete foundation under their tents. And this is why, because they were on their way someplace And they said, this was not home. We're going someplace. And I want you to just encourage you tonight. Stop pouring concrete under your tent because this is not home. We're going somewhere. Amen? Amen. 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 Paul reveals to the Thessalonican church, there are three characteristics of of a genuinely converted believer. There are three characteristics of a genuinely converted believer. If we're going to survive today and look at what's going on, that's something we need to understand. There are three genuinely characteristics of genuinely converted believers because he reveals to us not all believers or not all people are believers. The first characteristic of a genuine, genuine believer is that they are transformed by God's grace. They are transformed by God's grace. And he's speaking to them, but we are transformed. We're going to make it personal. We are transformed by God's grace. The second characteristic of those who are genuinely converted, we are guided by God's word. We are guided by God's word. The third characteristic of a genuine converted Christian or believer is that we are secured in God's salvation. Now, I don't know if you realize how much they needed to hear this. The Thessalonians needed to hear that God was fighting and securing them based on the fact that they heard about the day of the Lord approaching. Now, I want to read something to you in Zephaniah because make no mistake about it. Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 14 and 18, reveals to us what this day will look like. And let's take a look at it. In Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 18, 14 to 18, that terrible day of the Lord is near. Swiftly it comes, a day of bitter tears, a day when even strong men will cry out. It will be a day when the Lord's anger is poured out, a day of terrible distress and anguish, a day of ruin and desolation, 
a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness, a day of trumpet calls and battle cries. Down go the walled city and the strongest battlements. Because you have sinned against the Lord, I will make your grope around, make you grope around like the blind. Your blood will be poured into the dust and your bodies will lie rotting on the ground. Your silver and gold will not save you on that day of the Lord's anger for the whole land will be devoured by the fire of his jealousy. He will make a terrible end of all the people on the earth. Now, when you look at that, you're like, man, this is not a very pretty picture. Would you agree? And the Thessalonians were looking at this and they were somewhat worried. Not only that, you learned earlier in chapter 1 and chapter 2, early in chapter 1, that there had been false teachers that had slipped into the church. And they weren't speaking in behalf of God. So Paul had to remind them that we have to be a gospel-centered people. And there are some things that the Bible, that the gospel of Jesus Christ reminds us. The first thing we understand is that, first of all, let's look at the first one. We are transformed by God's grace. You see, in 2 Thessalonians 2.13, put that up, please. It says, as for us, we can't help but thank God for you, dear brothers and sisters, love of the Lord. We are always thankful that God chose you to be among the first to experience salvation. A salvation that came through the Spirit who makes you holy and through, and, and through your belief in the truth. What was he telling the Thessalonica church? He says, the hope of our assurance rests on God's unconditional love and sovereign election, which is not earned but given as a gift. Let me say it again. He wanted them to understand that the hope of our assurance, when you look at what's coming, I want you to understand the hope of your assurance rests on God's unconditional love and strength and God's sovereign election, which is not earned. We can't do anything to earn God's choice of our lives, but it is given as a free gift by his grace. Somebody say grace. I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 for a second, and verse 5. Here's what it says. But God, who is so rich in mercy, he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, here's what he did. He gave us what? When what happened? It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. Now, I want you to look at this for a second. But God is rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that he even through, even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when, we, when he raised Christ from the dead. Here's what Ephesians tells us. It tells us, that our present condition was not worthy of the grace of God nor the sovereign selection of God. But God overlooked our present condition and chose you and I anyway. One scripture says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, that is good news. It's not only good news for 
the Christians at Thessalonica, but it's good news for you simply because you have loved ones that are still not saved, that don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. He, see, the beauty of, of, of this Christian walk is not that we have an opportunity to invite him into our lives. No, 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 no. The beauty here is that we were already invited into his life. That is the beauty of it. All God was waiting for you was to come to the realization that he's already invited you into his family. Amen? Now look at 2 Timothy 1.9. 2 Timothy 1.9. It says, for God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we what? But because that was his what? When was that his plan? To show us his grace through Jesus. Look at this. God saved us and called us to live holy. He did this not because we deserved it. I I say this all the time. I'm so glad God is not like me. Okay, let me, I ain't letting you off the hook. Aren't you glad God is not like you? Now, I know this is not good English, but if God was like us, there would be a lot of people would have been gotten. Anybody besides me say, yeah, they'd have been gotten. I say, okay, then the rims one that don't raise their hand. Y'all just holy. Y'all just see. There ain't no, got nobody you want revenge on. But I'm so glad God is not like me because he says, Freddie, even when you were out there looking the other way, I was pursuing you. I was running after you. And man, when you finally slowed down long enough to realize I was coming after you, I got you. Wow. And guess what? He did this from the beginning because he planned this. You thought, you know, it's so funny when people stand up and say, man, I want to thank God I found the Lord. No, no, no. He wasn't the one that was lost. You were. You didn't find him. (laughs) Amen. Look at Titus chapter 3, verse 5. Titus chapter 3, verse 5. You have that? Don't have it. Let me read it. Titus chapter 3, verse 5. Let me look at that. It says, he saved us not because of his righteousness. Not, he saved us not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He saved us not because we were righteous. He saved us because of his mercy. He washed our sins away and gave us new birth and gave us new life. Man, if God had to wait for us to get ourselves right, do you realize he would be waiting a long time? You see, Paul is reminding them that they are transformed by the grace of God. Now, the question would ask, why do you think he did that? Why did God choose us? I know we reveal one was his plan. Somebody else want to tell me, why do you think God chose us way before all this began? Anybody? What do you think? I know we won't reveal his plan. Terry? To have fellowship with him. Good. Someone else? Yes, ma'am. Penny? One day will become his glory. Good. Someone else? Why do you think he chose us? Huh? That's a good reason. Very good reason. Anybody else? Yeah, yeah. 
Why did he do this? Deuteronomy 7, 7, and 8 reveals why he chose us. Look what it says here. The Lord did not set his heart on you and chose you because you were more, he's talking to Israel, that you were more numerous than the other nations. Oh, no, no, no. For he says, for you were the smallest of all the nations. There was nothing impressive about your size. You were not a massive group of people that just overwhelmed other nations. He said, you were small and nobody paid attention to you. He says this, rather, it was simply that the Lord loves you. There it is. And he was keeping the oath he had sworn to your ancestors. That is why the Lord rescued you with such a strong hand from your slavery and from the oppressive hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Wow. You know, most people, Bill, wouldn't have given up. As, remember, this is an old saying. For, for the young bunch, y'all don't remember this. Most people wouldn't have given a plum nickel for the way you were before you found Jesus. How many of y'all remember that old saying, a plum nickel? Yeah, yeah. I'm here to represent the old school. Clyde, do you remember that? I maybe didn't say, hey, man, just wanted to make sure. A nickel is bad, but a plum nickel, that's probably, that's no, <laughs> say nothing to that. But what is interesting about it is that God takes whatever the world throws away and he does the miraculous for his glory. I often say this, God is the only master builder that can take flawed material and build a perfect house. I've been involved in building a house. They tell me when I go get a stud or a two by four, if it's bent, throw it away. Go find another one. God says, wait a minute, that which you are throwing away, I need that because I can do something with that. And the reason why I take that is because when I'm through with it, they won't be able to get the glory out of it. And a gospel-centered life reminds us that every single one of us in here was an ex-something. Were it not for the grace of God, the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we would still be in our misery. But when people look at our lives now, they would never believe you was that person before Jesus came into your life. Something beautiful, something good. All of my confusion, he understood. All I had to offer him was brokenness and strife. But he made something beautiful of my life. We used to sing that in the old Pentecostal church. All I had to offer him was brokenness. But he made something beautiful of my life. So Deuteronomy reminds us why God chose us. You see, Paul reminds us in in verse 14 that the Thessalonians were falling, they were failing to live in the security of the gospel. They had allowed present circumstances to shake their faith. They were sliding away and losing confidence of what the word of God said about who they were as God's believers. They were transformed. They forgot that they were transformed by God's grace. Let's look at 2 Thessalonians 2.14. And let's see what Paul wants to say to them. They were failing to live in the security of the gospel. Here's what he says. And he called you to salvation. When we hold or when he told, when we told you of the good news, now you can share in the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. He called you to salvation 
When we told you of the good news, now you can share in the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. He said, guys, remember when we shared the gospel, the good news to you? Have you soon forgotten that in that gospel that God says there's coming a time of glorification, that you will also share in the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ? Here's, he says, here's what I'm telling you. What is shaking the world does not shake my throne. He said, what is shaking nations? Don't touch my kingdom. And if our emotions and our eyes are on this world that's being shaken, it will have the ability to shake you. But if our eyes are fixed on the glorification one day that we will see Jesus and be like him because God's throne is unshaken, it will not shake our faith. Because we look not on the things that appear. The things that appear are temporal. We don't get all bent out of shape because the wrong guy got in the White House. We fix our eyes on what's in God's house. <laughs> God's going to do God's going to have his way anyway. They were f- failing to live in the security of the gospel. Now, let me ask you a question. I'm going to stop right there. Let me ask you a question. How many of you guys can truly say with with with, with a sincere heart and and to be honest, there've been things in the last year to two years that have literally had the ability that have stolen a little bit of your peace. Can I see your hands? Look around. Look around. Okay. 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 So Paul is not only talking to the Thessalonican church, but he's also talking to us. He said, guys, let me remind you. Don't be moved by the things that you see. These things are only for but a moment. Because the breaking of day is going to reveal to you that it wasn't as bad as it looked. That there is a glorification that is coming. So while speaking to the Thessalonians, that's long as he's also speaking to us. Wow. The calling, he reminds them, the calling of the gospel and the obtaining of glory go both hand in hand. The calling of the gospel and the obtaining of the glory goes hand in hand. He says, when I call you and select you, there is a time of glorification that is coming. It goes hand in hand. Again, let's take a look at, I want to take a look at two parallel scriptures, two converse scriptures that sort of contrast one another. Go back to Thessalonians 2.14. It says, he called you to salvation when we told you the good news. Now you can share in the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. But look at 1 Thessalonians 5.9. It says, for God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus not to pour out his anger on us. Do you see the contrast? You see, what's the first thing humanity does when we're faced with something that is overwhelming like a flood, like an earthquake, like something, natural disaster that we just cannot wrap our minds around? The first thing the enemy wants us to believe that it was God's fault and that somehow I did something wrong and that's why God is punishing me. And so Paul is reminding him, guys, look at this. For, for God chose to save us through the Lord Jesus Christ, but not to pour out his anger on us. So that day of the Lord that's coming, he was reminding him, guys, this is not for you. God has the ability to take care of what belongs 
to him. How many of you had children when they were small and they were out in the yard playing in the front yard, the backyard when they were little and all of a sudden you heard them scream? What was your first response? You did what? You would run. Literally, you, as soon as that baby falls, you go, Mama! You took off. Jesus said, how is it that you being evil know how to get good gifts to your children? How much more? How much more? If you are that concerned about your babies, how much more is God concerned about you being his child? Will he not come to the rescue? Will he not? Is God not concerned about what belongs to him? I believe he is. And I just want to remind you and encourage you tonight, as Paul was encouraging the church at Thessalonica, guys, you're allowing yourself to fall away from the truth of the gospel and the security of the gospel. He says, focus back on that. So not only one, the first characteristics, we are transformed by his grace, but the thing we need to understand, we also see the entire Holy Trinity, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, working through the gospel to bring us that security. Well, let's look at it. What's God's part? God elected us and called us. Okay? Jesus Christ died to redeem us. And third, the Holy Spirit is now sanctifying us. Look at it. God elected and called. Done. Jesus died to redeem us. Done. The Holy Spirit is now sanctifying us. Doing. Did you get that? Done. Done. Doing. Wow. God selected, chose us, elected us. Jesus died and redeemed. Done. See, the difference between Christianity and all other religions is that Christianity, if you want to call it religion, which is not, but just for the sake of faith to call it, it is a religion of done. And you do not have to do. Because it's already done. How frustrating would it be for you to live in a house with your family, with your mom and dad, under the scrutiny of doing, doing, doing in order to get their love and their affection? How frustrated would you be? Would you? And you, at some point you're thinking, man, when is enough enough? And that's the state spiritually of a lot of people who practice religions that require you to do because you're left frustrated. When is enough enough? And he needed to remind the church at Thessalonica. He also wanted to remind the believers at home here at Living Word Church that we are transformed by God's grace. We have what we have by God's selection, not by, because we were good. Amen. Let's look at the second characteristic. The first was we are transformed by God's grace. He wanted them to understand that a gospel-centered person is transformed by the grace of God. A gospel-centered person is guided by God's word. They're guided by God's word. You know, the one thing that we need to understand is that, you know, when I watch the news, And I hear all of this stuff. We have to basically step back and go look and say, okay, God, what does your word say concerning that? There are many voices that have gone forth into the world. The question is 
Not what voice is being speak is speaking, but my question is, whose voice are you listening to? Because that's only one source of truth, and that is the word of God. The only, because God always calls things the way they are. God is not into politically, being politically correct because he understands political correctness and biblical correctness never travel down the same highway. So anybody here trying to be politically correct and biblically correct, you might as well stop. It don't work. It will never work because God by himself is a majority. I say God by himself is a majority. And he's going to be God when you're here. He'll be God when you're gone. He was God before you got here. He's going to always be God. So God by himself is a majority. He didn't ask the world. He didn't ask Congress. He didn't ask the Democrats, nor the Republicans, or anyone in the middle, should he? He said, I'm God and God alone, and there is no other. I hope that's for him and not for me. And we need to be reminded The church at Thessalonica needs to be reminded in the midst of the day of the Lord approaching, you need to know God is able to take care of you because he's God. He doesn't ask for permission. He's God. He does what he wants to do because he's God. People are angry because they say God's not fair. Fair to who? You? When did you come to become the minister of justice? We have to remind ourselves that God is God alone. And when he made the choice to choose you, he didn't ask anybody in your family were you worthy to be chosen. Because if he had, they'd have said no. (laughs) But he selected you because he loved you. And I'm a firm believer. Oh, I am a firm believer that God's choice, he always looks in the family and says, oh, yeah, that's the one right there everybody talks about. That's the one I'm going to get. And then I'm going to use my, I'm going to show forth my glory through that one to the rest of the family. Was that you? I'm raising my hand because there was 10 of us. I was that one. When I was in my, my mom and dad's church, my mom used to always say this, she get behind the, the microphone. For every last one of you mamas out there that got a baby, and that baby's acting a fool, and you got a son that won't listen, he's got a, a head harder than concrete. I'm a living witness. And I remember she was standing here, and I was on a keyboard. She said, I'm a living witness. Won't he do it? Won't he do it? <laughs> so I became the poster child in my dad's church for won't he do it? I said, well, thanks, Mom. Just go ahead and take a picture and put the post on and put it under there. He did it again. <laughs> so gospel-centered people are guided by God's word. Look at this, 2 Thessalonians chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 15. Let me look at verse 15. It says, with all these things in mind, dear brothers and sisters, stand firm and keep a strong grip on the teaching we passed on to you both in person and by letter. Leave that up. Leave that up. He said, with all these things in mind, dear brothers and sisters, stand firm and keep a strong grip on the teaching we passed on to you, both in person and by letter. A gospel-centered person is guided by God's word. Look at it from the Amplified. Do you have the Amplified? It says, so then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold tightly to the traditions which you were taught whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. Wow. 
Here's the key. The only effective means to confront false teachings as the Thessalonican church was dealing with is to stand firm and hold firmly to the truth. Here's what Paul was saying. Paul was telling the church at Thessalonica and Paul was telling us tonight that there are many truths that are in existing in the world today. And Paul says there is only one truth, one absolute truth, and that is the word of God. Word of God. Because cloth in our culture today is, number one, secular humanism and postmodernism. Under those philosophies is the idea that morality and truth is subjective. And under postmodernism, there is no such thing as moral absolutes. There is no such true thing as absolute truth. They've kicked that out the window. What's right for you is right for me. We all have our own truth. I don't know if you remember. Y'all remember the, the, the show that used to come on with the little boy and he used to say, what you talking about, Willis? Different strokes. How many of y'all remember that? How many of y'all remember that? Raise your hand. Good show. Awesome show. Here's this rich white guy living in the, in the penthouse, went and adopted these two little black kids from the hood and started a show. And it's just like, you know, but did you ever, ever listen to the words of the theme of the show? We didn't realize, I know now when I look around, I'm like, whoa, they were introducing a whole new set of moralities. Well, the world don't move to the beat of one, just one drum. What might, what might be right for you may not be right for some. It takes different strokes. It takes different strokes. It takes different strokes to rule the world. We had no idea in the 70s. They, should, they mass that false doctrine behind two cute little black boys raised by this wealthy white guy, and they were pushing postmodernism and, and, and more relativism, and we had no idea that they were doing it. Had no idea that they were doing that. See, some of y'all are going, wow, <laughs> I get it now. Yeah, that's how slick the enemy is. He pushed it under the radar. It's not under the radar anymore. Paul had to remind the church. He said, guys, the only moral absolute, the only absolute truth you have is the word of God, and it will guide you. So the only effective means to confront false teaching is to stand firm and hold firmly, stand firm and hold firm to the truth that you've been taught. You see, the word of God becomes an anchor. It anchors you. When there are all kinds of winds and doctrines blowing through the church. Everything needs to be tested by the the truth of God's word. And if it doesn't line up, it's not supposed to be in the house. There's a lot of people under the the guise of, of God and Christianity doing a lot of stuff and saying a lot of things. But it doesn't line up with what God is saying. Wow. He says, in order for you... To function, the word of God must guide you. Paul provided the Thessalonians with an objective standard of truth. The judge at any and all teachings coming and to judge anything that is coming through the church. He offers an objective standard. You see, an objective standard is true whether you accept it or not. It's true before you got here. It's true while you're here and it will be truth when you leave. That's an objective truth. And it's true across every culture. A subjective truth is subject to the individuals. And God says, my truth is not subjective. 
because my truth reflects me. He said, if you're going to make it in these times of trouble, he says, you must understand the word of God will keep you. Wow. How will the word of God keep, keep us? Jude chapter 3, look at Jude 3, here's what it says. Dear friends, I had been eagerly planning to write to you about the salvation we all share. But now I find that I must write about something else. Urging you to do what? To do what? Defend the faith that God has entrusted once and for all time to his holy people. So what God calls us to do? Defend. One scripture said contend for the faith. Because there are a lot of things being said to you and your children, but we've got to teach our kids the truth of God's word. It will be the only thing that's going to guide them. So Jude 3 says we've got to defend the faith or contend for the faith. 2 Peter 1.19, put that up please. It says because of the experience you have, even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets, you must pay close attention to what they wrote. For their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and Christ, the morning star, shines in your heart. So what does he tell us in verse verse 19? We have got to remember and pay attention to the prophetic. What God has said, God is still saying. He has not changed. He reveals to us through the prophetic word what he has done what he is doing, and what he's going to do. He said, I'm God and I change not. So Jude 3 tells us to contend for the faith. Second Peter 1.19 tells us to pay attention to prophetic words. And then third, John 15.14 tells us this. You are my friends if you do what I command. What is he saying? He said one verse, if you love me, you will do what I have commanded. Wow. You see, in 2 Thessalonians 2.13, it tells us, for as, for as we can help but thank God for you, dear brothers and sisters, love of the Lord, we are always thankful to God who chose you to be among the first, to be among the first, the salvation that came to you by the Spirit who makes you holy through your belief. So not only are we transformed by God's grace, a gospel-centered people are guided by God's word, but also we are secured in God's salvation. We are secured in God's salvation. What does that mean? Look at Second Thessalonians verse 16 and 17. What revelation and truth does he reveal to them as well as to us? Look what he says. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and the God our Father who loves us by his grace gave us eternal comfort and a wonderful hope. Comfort you and strengthen you in every good thing you do and say. It is in uncertain times, we must keep our eyes on God's love and his grace as we live out our faith. Leave that scripture up. Look what it says. Now may the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loves us and by and by his grace gives us eternal comfort and a wonderful hope. How is the comfort and the hope given? 
is given based on God's love and his grace. It is his love and grace that gives us this eternal comfort. It is his love and grace that gives us this strength. Least we forget. It is his love and his grace. In these uncertain times, we must keep our eyes on God's love and his grace as we live out our faith. You see, one of the things we need to understand is the reason why he gives us his love and grace is because too many Christians, and as well as the Thessalonican church, was trying to live out their lives through their own strength. Anybody ever tried to do that? Live the life, a spirit-filled life in your own strength? Can anybody out here tell me what happens when you do that? Anybody want? What revelation could you give me? Do I see a hand? What happens? Huh? I can't. You become discouraged. Who said that? Okay. You become discouraged. Someone else. Yes. Burned out. Yeah, she got it, huh? You become burned out. Yes, sir. Flat. He didn't say you fall on your face. You fall flat on your face. See, that's South Louisiana talk right there. And we make it plain. What else happens when we try to live a God-called life in our own strength? Anyone else? Yes. We disconnect. You know what God says? Okay, if you want to do this without me, I'm not going to push you past your will. So, okay, let me know when you, when you need me. Give me a holler when you're ready. And too many of us are not living what I call a spirit-led life. Did you hear what I just say? We're not living a, spir- a spirit-led life. A spirit-led life, at the end of the day, though tired you may be physically, you wake up with a sense of, man, I can get this day started with a new hope. Because guess what? A, spir- a gospel-centered life reminds you that this is not your work. <laughs> Did you hear what I just say? This is not your work. Well, I thought we were called. Yeah, you were called to do his work. <laughs> he said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are, are what? Heavy laden. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me for my yokes are, his yokes are, and his burdens are. So if you're doing this and you're like, oh man, I'm not going to make it. This is so hard. This, this is not from him. Man, I'm about to lose, man, I'm about to lose my mind up in here. I, <laughs> there are so many Christians taking pills to go to bed, to go to sleep, pills to wake up. Because, not because they, they don't have a condition, but because they're so worried about tomorrow. And this was, this is what was going on with the church at that. He said, guys, listen, 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 God's got this. Turn to your neighbor and say, God's got this. Turn to your neighbor and say, God's got this because he's got you. Wow. Wow. In uncertain times, we must keep our eyes on God's love and his grace. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5, switch over and go to that. Look what it says. It says this. May the Lord lead your heart into full understanding and expression of the love of God, the patient endurance that comes from Christ. May the Lord 
lead your hearts, lead your hearts into full understanding and expression of love of God and the patient endurance that comes from Christ. Paul prayed two prayers for the, for the believers. The first prayer, this is the first thing he prayed for. He asked for God's intervention into the lives and not the removal of their burdens and to bring them encouragement. He says, Lord, here's what I want you to do. Father, we want you to do. I want you to encourage them in the midst of what they're dealing with. Wow. Did you see that? Encourage them. The reason why we're able to stand is because God is at work behind the scenes and he gets glory out of you standing in what most folks sink in. Did you hear that? He gets glory out of you standing in what most folks sink in. And the reason why he causes you to stand because he wants those people to come running to you and says, how do you do that? Anybody ever had someone ask you, how are you doing this? Come on now. Come on, somebody. That's a great witness and opportunity right there. And you say, because of Jesus Christ, because of his word, I am a God gospel centered believer. I put my faith not in the government, not 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, but I put my faith not in the White House, but I put my faith in God's house in God's word in his kingdom that has no end. So he prayed that the Lord would make them strong in what they're dealing with. His second prayer, he prayed for their ongoing spiritual growth, which would be evident by their increasing love for God and their ability to endure suffering by following in Jesus' footsteps. Can I share something with you? It is the present suffering of this life that perfects our faith. You will never know what kind of faith you have until the faith you have get tested. You will never know what kind of faith you have until your faith get tested. And when it's tested, it will be proven as pure gold if you stand in the fire. And the fire that God's going to take you through is not a fire to consume you, but a fire to perfect It is a perfecting fire. God is not interested in consuming you. He's interested in perfecting. So if you are in the midst of a fire and that's what you're like, he's like, Lord, I thank you because this thing is going to make me better. (laughs) It's all about how you see it. If you can't change the it that you see, change how you see it. Because he's interesting and getting glory out of you. The Bible said we are trophies of his praise. Anybody in here ever won a trophy? Anybody won a trophy? Okay, look around, look around. I'm coming to the close, coming to the close. Okay, if someone was to have walked in your house and walk in your bedroom and saw your trophy, we're trophies of his praise. The trophy in your room is not going to be doing this. Can I tell you what the trophy is going to be doing? The trophy is going to be speaking of you. It's going to glorify you. Every time they read the trophy, it's your name on it. The trophy said, don't look at me. Look at who, 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 who this represents. And if we are trophies of God's praise, we've got to stop doing this. And do this. Amen. 
Paul reminds us as we close. He reminds the Thessalonians that God uses tough times and evil to show forth the protection, strength of his people accomplishing his purpose. God uses evil, the evil of this world for his glory. I know it's hard for you to say, Lord, how can you get the glory out of a death? How can you get the glory out of an earthquake? How can you get the glory out of a tsunami? God, we don't understand, but he always does something that we never understand. Look at John 17, 14 and 15. It says, I have given them your word. Jesus prayed for his disciples before he left. And the world hates them because they do not belong to the world. Just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but I'm asking you to keep them safe from the evil one. The next verse. He says, I'm not asking you to take them from out of the world, but I'm asking you to keep them from the evil one. Here, God says, God will be glorified in the midst of the evil because God's going to protect his people. Wow. Wow. Thessalonians 3, 1 through 4, as we close, and here's what it says. Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we ask you to pray for us. Pray that the Lord's message will spread rapidly and the honor wherever it goes, just as when it came to you. Pray, too, that we will be rescued from from wicked and evil people. For not everyone is a believer, but the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and guard you from the evil one. And we are confident. Living word is confident. Every believer here is confident in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. So we stand here and we said, God, thank you. Because you have chosen to keep us here to reflect your glory. Lord, I just pray tonight that the word come alive in our hearts, that when we see all of the tragedy and we know that day of the Lord is approaching and we we know that Matthew 24 is being unfolded, earthquakes and pestilence in diverse places, wars and rumors of wars. When we see all these things, you remind us that the word guides us and that we are to not be moved emotionally, but God, you are still large and in charge. And so we ask today that which came through to the Thessalonican church by Paul, that we become encouraged as he encouraged them, that we become God-centered people and anchor our lives in his word. And we will forever give you the praise because one day you will glorify us with you and you are protecting your people. We ask these and other blessings. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.